you get clarity on trade, that has businesses investing again. And with the economic expansion, now at 10 years, happy birthday economic expansion, um, we need productivity growth. And as businesses increase capital expenditures, that improves productivity, which can enable the expansion to continue without sacrificing margins, which can help the equity market rally continue. From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. I'm John Lynch. And I'm Ryan Dietrich. Welcome to this special edition of LPL Market Signals podcast. I say special because my good friend Ryan Dietrich and I are on. Good. Hello, Ryan. Is it special because I'm here, John? Uh, partially. Okay. Partially. Okay. We, we are releasing our mid-year outlook oh, for 2019. Right. Fundamentals, how to focus on what really matters in the financial markets. And uh, we just think it's so important, right, Ryan, to make sure investors double down on fundamentals as often as possible. No, you're right, John. It has been a wild year so far. You've got all the different headlines of swirling. We're going to do a little review, but the bottom line, equity markets continue to do quite well. Bond market is saying there potentially is trouble on the horizon. And you've got the China disputes, and now Iran's in the news, so geopolitical concerns. But at the end of the day, you follow those fundamentals, and they should guide us long-term, and that's kind of the camp we have been in and continue to be in. Absolutely. But there is something we have to be mindful of. You know, Mm -hmm. stocks are up, bonds are up, gold's up, the dollar's up. You know, uh, I get paid to worry. And, uh, you know, what are the market signals there? And that's what we'll try and talk about today. But, you know, timing is perfect. You know, I, I have to love, you know, the humbling life that we have chosen as market forecasters. When we release the... 2019, 2019 market outlook in December, the market was crashing and right. uh, everyone was running out their hair on fire. So our timing was you know, pretty poor when you think about <laughs> it was the worst week in 10 years and the worst December in 87 years. So thankfully we survived that. Now we're at an environment where the market continues to soar as opportunities for lower interest rates are driving investor sentiment. No, you're right, John. You know, just again to wrap it up, the fourth quarter was the worst fourth quarter for stocks since financial crisis. And again, December, as we noted, had never been the worst month of the year for stocks. Sure enough, it was the same week, <laughs> or at least the week the big drop happened was the week the, that our outlook came out. But you know, again, turning to now, I mean, you know, the S and P was up in January, February, March, April. Then we had the seven percent pullback in Come May, in May right? and that got everyone worried, rightfully so. But you know, it's all relative after a good start to a year. And now, as of the recording of this, we're looking at one of the best Junes since nineteen fifty-five for the S and P five hundred. There's still time it might pull back That's a little bit. A long bit. time, even I don't remember that. I was going to say, what was the, what, what, what was your hair like in nineteen fifty-five? Right, right, but um. Yeah, I mean, so it's just really unique. But, John, I mean, you know, what do you think? Want to get going? So that, Yeah, let's, let's let's roll in. We've only got so much time. What when, do we when think? We're talking about the fundamentals. You know, we want to make sure our financial advisors and our investors fully appreciate the idea that when looking at fundamentals, we've decided to focus on four primary pillars, mm-hmm. and those relate to policy, the economy, interest rates or fixed income or, or bonds, if you will, and then finally corporate profits and equities. And I think if you focus on those four key areas with all the headlines, with all the volatility, with all the geopolitical threats, which we do not want to be dismissive of, um, because that is going to cause market volatility going forward, uh, like it has uh, historically, we do think by focusing on those four key areas, it's our goal to uh, make investing less complicated for our investors. You're right. So maybe let's start things off then with policy. As, as we have our mid-year outlook in front of us here, which again is 
going to be released. And in the podcast notes, we'll have a link to this latest mid-year, 2019 mid-year outlook. But with policy, John, we have the Fed. Mm-hmm. And we came into this year thinking there's going to be maybe two rate hikes, maybe even more. The economy is looking strong. Rates should go higher. I've said this before. One of the big surprises, I think, this year is not so much stocks have been so strong. because That is surprising. But maybe the surprise and the drop in what the Fed has been expected to do Absolutely. and the surprise drop in yield. So we just had a Fed decision on Wednesday. So maybe we talk a little bit about that to combine things. So the Fed had an interest rate decision policy on Wednesday, John, and they – have much, become much more dovish than they were, obviously, mm-hmm. to start off the year. What do you think about policy right now and really for the rest of this year? Where's the Fed going to drive things? Well, I think the biggest change uh, for the market this year has been the Fed's pivot on policy. Because right. Absolutely. They did four hikes last year. In retrospect, three probably would have been enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, in our mid-year outlook report, you know, we wrote that in a perfect world, the transition from fiscal leadership or I'm sorry, from monetary leadership to fiscal leadership. Right. would have gone smoothly, but in the real world, it was very bumpy, right? And uh, when we were at our 2018 market outlook, the whole idea of return to the business cycle was that we've been counting on the Fed for a decade. Now we could count on government, if you will, and fiscal legislators to act, whether it be the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017, whether it be reduced regulatory burdens in the energy and financial sectors, or the $300 billion uh, additional uh, government spending plan uh, that was signed, a uh, two-year deal signed in March of 2018. So, you know, you had all that going for you, but then trade has obviously mm-hmm. overwhelmed the other three levers that government can pull to pull the, to, to promote the economy. And uh, now we're in a situation where, because of that uncertainty and what it's done for business investment, we saw significant gains in business investment as we've shared with our listeners many times on this podcast, but in the first half of 18, but it ground to a halt in the second half of 18. We're seeing a little bit, but it's more like incremental gains. We're not really seeing the 7 and 8% gains that like we're, we're looking for. Uh, so we really need clarity on trade to get this thing going again legitimately. But now we're in a situation where the Fed you know, has completely pivoted mm-hmm. from where they were a year ago. Clearly, three hikes probably would have been sufficient in 2018. The fourth really sent us for a doozy. But there's a debate right now as to pros or cons or should the Fed raise or should they not? No, you're right, John. I mean, you got good arguments on both sides, I really think. And that's why we're having these debates, because employment picture still looks pretty strong. Mm-hmm. We saw a big jump in consumer confidence, small business confidence last month. Consumer spending is still there. So you think about it, the average person, they see the headlines about the trade disputes with China and potential trade disputes with other countries. It doesn't seem to be affecting them too much. Um, at the other side of things, manufacturing data has just dropped off a map. Like a rock. The Empire State Manufacturing numbers came out a week ago. One of the largest month-over-month drops ever. That was just last month. So, And this is globally we've seen manufacturing, and it makes sense. Manufacturing is not going to be happening as much when there's this indecision as it comes to China. So it's a very unique situation. You know, we've kind of compared it to 1994, 95, and 94. The economy was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Stock market was flat. What happened in 95? The, the economy started slowing down. The year before, you had some geopolitical concerns with the um, Mexican peso crisis. Fed pivoted. Stock market did pretty well, even though the economy wasn't as strong. Sounds a lot like right now, where last year was a good economy. Stocks had their first losing year in nine years on a total return basis. Now we've got the Fed pivot. 
And as of the time of recording this, I think I saw this is the best start to year since 1997. My senior year in high school, actually. Was that so right? I, don't, I don't even my, remember. I, don't, I didn't pay much too much attention to stuff back then, but mm-hmm. I do now. So, yeah. you know, what do you think, John? Will, will the Fed cut in July? There, there's a case for and a case against. The case against clearly is sub 4% employment. Mm-hmm. You know, we still had 3% economic growth in the first quarter. You know, you can go on and on about some of the stronger fundamentals, but you have to go beyond unfortunately, the Fed's official mandate of employment and inflation. I think you have to look at currency. And when you factor in that the dollar has been strong, manufacturing has been falling, the short end of the yield curve is telling the Fed that policy is too tight for all this trade uncertainty. I think they're going to cut. um, Mm -hmm. uh, I would prefer to see 25 basis points in July just to get it over with. You know, we're going to have a jobs report, I guess, on I guess it's Friday, July 5th, and uh, when the Fed meets in late July, uh, probably one cut at that point. Um, very, I thought it was fascinating. Powell was trying to be evasive uh, last week, right? Uh, but Fed Fund Futures projected a 100% chance of a rate cut in July nonetheless. So uh, it's not just tweets from the White House that's going to force their hand. I think the interest rate differentials between the 10-year Treasury, even though we're hovering around 2%, and some days we've traded below it, the interest rate differential between, the, for example, the German Bund or the Japanese government bond, uh, that is something we have to pay attention to. We also have to be very mindful of uh, what our currency has been doing over the past you know, several months. So I think they're going to cut. Um, I'm not sure we're going to see the two or three cuts that people have mm-hmm. been counting on. But this sort of course correction, I think, is just sending a signal that they will act as appropriate to sustain the expansion, which was the direct quote from Fed Chair Powell. Good memory on the quote there. So, you know, one thing we didn't talk about, the G20 is actually happening this week as well. And President Trump and President Xi are expected to have, I believe, a nice dinner, actually, uh, in Japan. So who knows? Maybe, uh, I don't think this is our base case, but maybe we get some type of path to resolution, which would be a good thing. And That's right. If, if the CapEx and invest companies invest in themselves can perk up as the trade shows some type of finish line, maybe we don't get rate hikes. Now, 100%, I mean, I hate to, there's no such thing as a 100% chance of anything, in my opinion. But mm-hmm. nonetheless, there's a very good chance, obviously, that it'll be a hike. But maybe not. Or I'm sorry, a cut. I cut. apologize. Yep. A cut. But maybe not if we get some good news on G20, right? Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see because... You know, you have that dynamic. Mm-hmm. Both President Xi and President Trump, it, it's in their nation's self-interest to, to, to have a deal, right. to have progress, to, to stop this uh, uncertainty. But, you know, maybe that's why Powell waited and uh, just wants to make sure, you know, we, we have clarity one way or another. It's conceivable we're going to be disappointed. Um, you know, uh, we were 80% done, and then this thing just right. collapsed six or seven weeks ago. So... Um, you know, we, we should all be prepared for a nice dinner that they'll have, a nice photo op, <laughs> and then agreeing to meet again in six weeks, mm-hmm. which would be the the green light for the Fed to cut. No, exactly. So we I think we did a good job covering policy there. Let's move over to the economy, which I think we have kind of hinted at a little bit as we've discussed things. But overall, John, as I look at our report, you know, cons- spending is still strong. The consumer is still there. But I see we lowered our GDP target just just by a hair. Absolutely. Tell me a little bit about that. Absolutely. Well, we just you know when you when you look at three percent, three point one percent growth in the first quarter, a lot of that was exports uh, getting ahead of any tariffs mm-hmm. and business inventories, and as businesses build inventories, that is additive to economic growth. But historically, what we've seen is that when you have an inventory buildup, the subsequent quarter or two. 
right. tends to slow down as businesses decrease manufacturing, decrease industrial output, and work that inventory off their shelves. So consequently, it tend to get slower growth. The absence of business investment to the degree that we had forecast also played into it. Uh, so yeah, we just we tweaked economic forecasts, uh, and we're now looking at two and a quarter to two and a half percent real GDP growth in the U.S. in in 2019. And the real driver, and this is where trade is so key, mm-hmm. trade is central to all our forecasts because if you get clarity on trade, that has businesses investing again. And with the economic expansion now at 10 years, happy birthday, economic expansion, um, we need productivity growth. And as businesses increase capital expenditures, that improves productivity, which can enable the expansion to continue without sacrificing margins, which can help the equity market rally continue. No, that's exactly correct there. And we've obviously talked about that big theme for for a long time now, Mm -hmm. and it's one that is clearly key uh, to the second half of this year. So employment picture, we had a weak-ish jobs number last month, 75,000. We're still averaging about 200,000 jobs. And we've seen some one-off months that drop, and then jobs come back. So we're not too uh, too concerned on the employment picture. In fact, we call that more of a positive. But inflation, <laughs> let's write inflation for a second mm-hmm. about the economy. Transitory or not, I believe I saw Fed Chairman St. Bullard St. said St. it's St. not Louis transitory. Yeah. Uh, just just Bullard, yesterday. Yep. Mm-hmm. And... I believe, correct, was he the only Fed member that wanted a cut also? The the first uh, dissident, if you will, yes. first dissident vote in right. uh, the Powell Fed over the last 18 months. And now he's saying it's not transitory, so yep, he's, uh, he's out there. So what do you think? I mean, inflation continues to surprise to the downside. Mm-hmm. You said before, well, with all the stimulus, we should have inflation, but we yeah, simply don't. Milton, what, what do you Milton think? Milton Friedman is spinning in his grave right now, right. thinking about all the, all the money we have printed, if you will, and... Uh, uh, global central bankers still have quintupled the size of their balance sheets at the JGB, at the mm-hmm. Bank of Japan, at the ECB, the European Central Bank, and uh, at our Federal Reserve, and right. we still can't get a 2% print. Uh, there are dynamics because of globalization, because of software improvements, because of productivity gains. Uh, uh, I mentioned globalization, retiring boomers. You know, wages are the largest cost for businesses. And to the degree that wages aren't rising at a threatening level, you have that dynamic as well. So um, they just can't get inflation after 10 years. And that's something uh, about which we should not be rejoicing. It's something we should be concerned about. Exactly. So so let's talk globally just for a second then, John. You know, we've got emerging markets and developed markets. Now, Mm -hmm. on the developed market side of things, we still have the concerns as it comes to Europe. You know, continued slow growth, slowing demographics. France has the yellow vest. Germany's had very, very weak manufacturing numbers. Oh, there's something called Brexit, which is still out there. Mm -hmm. So developed markets, we're still a little underweight there. I guess we're not talking equities yet, but in terms of the economy and equities, maybe we can hint at it. What do we think of developed markets? Call it Mm 4.5% growth or so. Uh, in emerging markets, you know, barely a 2% mm-hmm. print for developed markets. Yep. And really what's weighing on the developed space is Europe. You, right. know, you mentioned France and Germany uh, and Brexit, but we can't lose sight of Italy as well. Italy is the, right. what, fourth largest credit market in the world, and they've got a, a struggling coalition government trying mm-hmm. to uh, agree on a budget. So, you know, that's a really big deal when you think about that the size of that credit market. We're, we're more favorable on the emerging space. India has done very well after their election. Uh, you may not see the stimulus now that the election's over, but still India has replaced China as the the pace setter right. for global, G- or at least emerging market GDP And their growth. stock market has gone on a 45-degree angle from the bottom left to the top right. Yeah. So if you think the stock market can lead uh, the economy sometimes, mm-hmm. India has truly been a, a true leader. So we like... Uh, 
emerging markets to kind of lead the continue to lead the global growth. Developed markets we're a little bit more concerned with with some of those big concerns out here. What about Japan? We didn't get Japan to Japan. Japan has the consumption tax beginning exactly. in, uh, uh, I guess, October 1st, beginning in the fourth quarter. So we mm -hmm. have to be mindful there. It's conceivable we'll see stronger growth in the second and third quarters right. as uh, economic activity is pulled forward in anticipation of that. And it's conceivable also that you see a recession in the fourth quarter in Japan, wow. which okay. will be there. What? How many recessions have they had in the last 20 years? You know, so it may not be as yeah. noteworthy, but, but nonetheless... Still. You know, we need to be prepared for that. So good economic growth. Mm -hmm. Growth is slowing, but still growing here in the States. And I think that's something to keep in mind. And it could keep the Fed on the sideline and disappoint equity investors. Uh, but in the meanwhile, let's look at that rate environment. Right. Say we get a, uh, a rate cut in July. That obviously pressures the short end of the curve. And we're investing our portfolios. We're trying to reduce exposure to mm -hmm. rate sensitive holdings in the fixed income space because what the way we see it playing out the short end of the curve is signaling that policy is too tight twos tens tens thirties right. you know they're all heading <laughs> that's still heading north so on that on that that interest rate differential so the way we see it playing out pressured lower on the short end of the curve clarity on trade or degree of progress on trade we still look for the 10-year treasury we've reduced the forecast but we're looking at the 10-year treasury over the next six to 12 months currently trading around two percent we, we still believe the 10-year will, tra will trade as high as 250 to 270 275 over the next 12 months or so right. uh, as you get clarity on trade and you get that boost to growth and to be honest it wasn't that long ago That's that right. it was trading at no. 275 and there's a correlation between copper and the 10-year yield as well and i've looked at some tech getting geeky technical charge coppers oversold but if copper can start to bounce here that could mean maybe potentially some positives on trade and that can get potentially yields to go a little bit higher. Now, John, if someone was investing in fixed income, though, we just said, okay, higher rates here. You're buying, we're buying a little more higher quality, a little shorter duration. What area should someone invest in for the next, you know, say, well, I guess we'll say six to twelve months here with that major yeah. outlook on the fixed income side of things. We're we're looking at an overweight still on investment grade corporate bonds. Uh, we just think at this point in the cycle. Uh, you know, emphasizing those companies that can pay you back probably is probably the smarter Good way point. to go. Uh, and, and an interesting dynamic, I don't want to sound like Cliffy Clavin, you know, an interesting dynamic here um, relative to investment grade corporates, half the size mm. of the uh, investment grade index is triple B, which is a step away from junk. Right. So if interest rates were to rise on a cut at the short end because of economic activity, that bodes well for the triple B or the high yield space. If the mm. Fed were to keep reducing rates and the curve stays flat, the investment grade sector should do well because, again, that's that's an area that can, uh, again, pay you back. So we're having that little, yes. it's almost like a barbell within a single asset class uh, for fixed income. And also, we, we still like, given the extra level of yield relative to what we don't see as a terrible amount of risk in the in the housing market, mm -hmm. you know, if the, if the Fed right. goes low, you know, 30-year fixed is below 4% already. So we think the mortgage-backed securities market also is an area where investors should be looking at. And then globally, developed versus emerging markets. What do you think on the fixed income markets there? On the fixed income side and developed markets, exceedingly expensive. Right. And I think we have to be very, very careful there. To have global exposure, you have some accommodation from emerging market central banks, uh, dollar-denominated emerging market debt. I would prefer to see our investors, even if it's just a market weight in that area, have some exposure, but definitely be very careful on, on the... Uh, I mean, our own 10-year treasury 
looks expensive by literally all historical measures, but when you look at it relative to the Japanese government bond or the German <laughs> Bund, it's right. you know it's it's it, it would appear very affordable. And interesting way to look at things. There's always two sides to every story. So, John, we got a few more minutes here. Let's go to I think probably the most interesting, given we're stock guys. Absolutely. Equities here. So like I'll kind of tee it up for you here. So like we said, we had a really good bounce back. I mean, S&P right after the Fed made new all-time highs the day after the Fed decision, bounced back significantly, obviously, from the really rough fourth quarter and the scary big pullback that we saw in May, the worst May since 2010, at least on the S&P 500. Continue to see, you know, globally, really. I mean, there's a lot of global market. I mean, Sweden's making new all-time highs. Switzerland's Argentina. making Argentina. You know, Brazil's been strong. Um, Greece, I've said this before, I mean, Greece is not making new all-time highs, but they are breaking out the 52-week highs. If there's a global recession on the horizon, I don't see Greece doing what it's doing. So there are some definite positive. What do you think about, you know, I guess, you know, globally here, U.S. and um, developed emerging markets? Take it away. What, what should people do with equities here the rest well, of the year? Well, if you remember, in, uh, in late March, we went to market weight on the U.S. equity right. market because we were concerned about a market that was giddy about liquidity once the Fed decided that they were... What was your quote on CNBC last Friday? I just said it, giddy about liquidity. I thought liquidity. I was drunk on liquidity, wasn't that? No, I would never. Okay. I wonder I why never. I thought you said that. Okay. Nope. Apologies. Nope. Yeah, well, you're just because you're giddy when you're drunk, no. you know, don't make that never association. Mind. I you said that. <laughs> giddy, okay. It's a good quote. Like you said, CNBC ran with it. Like yeah, that morning, did, yeah. they ran with your quote on and, CNBC, and so weekend, congrats. Yeah. That was so, awesome. Well, thank yeah. you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, giddy about liquidity. Should have said drunk. It would have really taken off. That's right. And um, looking at, you know, we were just so concerned. You know, the equity markets, in our opinion, when you focus on the fundamentals, it should be about earnings and interest rates. Mm -hmm. And again, interest rates factoring into the discounting mechanism of good earnings growth. When we see a market that just heads through the ceiling on the idea that money's going to be free for the foreseeable future, that's mm -hmm. not a healthy environment. So I suspect some of the recent gains are at risk. And if investors feel like they missed what's happened during June, I think you're going to have an opportunity to reposition yet again, because whether it's a tweet, whether it's a stalled negotiation, whether the Fed doesn't cut in July, something's going to cause 6 to 8% pullback. I'm not even sure it'll be a legitimate 10% correction from current levels, but just the way this market has traded, when you see the significant rallies on just utterances from Fed governors and, and uh, regional presidents, that's something we're very mindful of. So we've had a bit of a defensive leadership since we went to market weight. Uh, in equities, and to the degree we get another six or eight percent pullback, which we typically what two or three of those a year, we would look to build on value. We would look to build on cyclically oriented sectors such as financials, industrials, and energies. And I think that would be a, an opportunity for investors to reposition. But nonetheless, we still think the market's fairly valued mm -hmm. at three thousand. We could be there right now by the time our listeners are are hearing this podcast. But be mindful of the fact that. If it's defensive leadership that has gotten us there, we view that suspiciously, and uh, we are we are mindful for the possibility of a, a near-term pullback, and we would continue to emphasize cyclical exposure. I still think year-end fair value is 3,000. Mm -hmm. Now, if we get clarity on the Fed and we get clarity on trade, I will be the first guy to jack up our earnings estimates and then justify a fair value higher than that. But I am not going to put our investors at risk by having a pie in the sky target for the market if I can't justify it 
from profits. Oh, great points there. So if you're saying, you know, U.S. markets are very close to fairly valued, maybe a little bit more, something that's kind of been beaten down is obviously been emerging markets. So maybe mm -hmm. there's a little bit more price appreciation on the emerging market side of things. We've liked the emerging markets for a while. We continue to like them the rest of this year. I mean, clearly trade's a big part of it. Yeah. Also, the U.S. dollar. U.S. dollar after the Fed is all of a sudden starting to drop a little bit. Like you said, it's been stronger, yes, but really it's going sideways for a while, and maybe the dollar is starting to gently go lower as the Fed turns dovish. Keeping this real simple, a lower trending U.S. dollar tends to be a tailwind for emerging markets and outperformance. Maybe emerging markets is a place that we can find some alpha outperformance in the next six months, right? Absolutely. A final point on U.S., if I may. Sure. Uh, you may. Looking at... Uh, Looking at our profit forecast, call it $170 in a sub-2% mm -hmm. inflation environment. I don't believe we are swinging for the fences with a 17.5 PE trailing right. price-to-earnings ratio on the market, and that's how we arrive basically at the 3,000 number. When you're looking at emerging markets, we are indeed overweight mm -hmm. emerging. And, you know, again, looking at this stuff for over 30 years, it, it is amazing the emerging space. You know, we could be very excited about fundamentals suggesting premium to economic growth, a premium to earnings growth, for example, or a discount on P.E. ratios for the mm -hmm. emerging space. And all too often, that doesn't matter. Right. It's all about the dollar and whether or not <laughs> the dollar is rising or falling. And if the dollar is rising, emerging market, they don't get the flow. Right. And it comes back to the U.S. Uh, if the Fed were to cut, that would reduce demand for the dollar and you get those flows going back. So it's all about the currency, and it's about flows for the emerging space, and it doesn't hurt that you have positive fundamentals of 4.5% GDP earnings and uh, valuation tailwinds. And I know you agree with everything you said because you literally almost just pounded the table with what you were talking about. That's right. That's so right. we've got a, probably not much too much time left, but developed markets, and we've hinted at it from the economic point of view, developed markets from an investment equity point of view the next 6 to 12 months, similar what do you the, think? Similar to the economic outlook, right. we, are, we are piggybacking off that, and uh, we are overweight emerging relative to developed. Mm -hmm. We are market weight U.S. We are overweight value relative to growth. You know, we're basically market weight large and small mm -hmm. at this point. But if I had to give a preference, I'd do a slight overweight for large over small and just try to, and as, as we are positioning our clients' portfolios, that is uh, consistent with our strategy recommendation as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, late in the cycle, don't forget historically large does a little bit better than small. So that's kind of, we're late in the cycle, which we think there's still going to be potentially a couple more years left in the cycle. But large makes a little more sense, I think. Yeah, right? and if you can look at, uh, at, again, 10 years into this thing, right? Mm -hmm. And it, what, what's fascinating is that we are 10 years into a record bull from a duration standpoint, uh, not there in magnitude yet. We're at a, a record uh, economic expansion like two weeks from today. Right. But the fact that the Fed may cut rates, it's conceivable this is the least appreciated mid-cycle slowdown in the history of Earth. <laughs> you know, so it's really, it, it, you know, if they play the cards That's right, it, quote. It, it could go, <laughs> yeah. it, it could go, you know, a little longer. I still mm -hmm. maintain, though, um, fundamentals look really good for next year, but I am, uh, I am cautious about the, what should be the mother of all election campaigns. And if investors, consumers, and businesses have it beaten into them over the course of the next year how bad things are by both parties, it's conceivable that sentiment is weighed so much that the consumer and businesses just tap out in the fourth quarter right. and wait to see what happens and wait to see whether the president's reelected or someone else is coming in. So maybe, maybe the next recession is 4Q20 and 1Q21, where... It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy whereby investors and consumers just tap out 
And then if that were the case, you would have consecutive quarterly declines of one third of 1%. You would not have 2000 or 2008, mm-hmm. 2009 experience, which I suspect the headlines would suggest, even though it's otherwise. Oh, exactly, John. So great stuff there, John. So we probably should wrap it up here. So I had a lot of fun today and this week on the latest Always. LPL Market Signals podcast discussing our brand new release 2019 mid-year outlook focusing on fundamentals. So John, uh, we'll be back, I'm assuming, next week. We're hitting record number of listens. We really appreciate everyone's partnership listening to these every week. It's Absolutely. fun to do. Absolutely. And um, you know, it's a chance to get away from your desk, kind of get in the cool room here, and just start talking stocks. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a chance to get away from all the With buzz. no notes. Exa- yeah, we just wing it. If, if, if it comes off, we, we try to wing this, make it authentic. Mm-hmm. So, John, thanks a lot this week. Take it away. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And, again, uh, for more details on our Mid-Year Outlook, please go on LPL Financial's website and Mid-Year Outlook 2019. Thank you all so much. Have a wonderful week, a healthy and happy 4th of July, and we will talk to you soon. For additional description and disclosures, please see the full Outlook 2019 publication. Well, that's it for this episode. Join us next week when we'll continue to analyze and discuss market signals. Stay connected by following us on Twitter, at LPL, or at LPL Research. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. LPL Market Signals is presented and produced by LPL Financial. I'm John Lynch. And I'm Ryan Dietrich. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide or to construed as providing specific investment advice or recommendations for any individual security. Any economic forecast set forth in this podcast may not develop as predicted, and there can be no guarantee the strategies promoted will be successful. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Investing involves risks, including potential loss of principal. No investment strategy or risk management technique can guarantee return or eliminate risk in all market environments. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. This research material was prepared by LPL Financial, LLC, securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA and SIPC. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered independent investment advisor, please note that LPL Financial is not an affiliate of and makes no representation with respect to such entity. The investment products sold through LPL Financial are not insured deposits and are not FDIC, NCUA insured. These products are not bank credit union obligations and are not endorsed, recommended, or guaranteed by any bank, credit union, or any government agency. The value of this investment may fluctuate. The return on the investment is not guaranteed and loss of principal is possible.